Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey there, Steve here from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, the podcast that brings nerd culture and pop culture together in the 21st century. We sit down and talk to the gurus of your favorite nerdy fandoms. You've got the questions, we've got the answers. So join us every week on the DNA podcast, where we know it's not just a hobby, it's hereditary. Welcome, everybody, to part two of our episodes on the Paladin class. I am joined once again by the industrious, illustrious, inimitable Glenn and Luanika, the co-hosts of the podcast here. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Wow, what a esteemed introduction. Thank I you know, so right? much. Lots of mm. I words. For the record... I'm illustrious. <laughs> yeah. oh, you got to make it sound dirty. Uh, I have a license to illustre. My my apologies to the beasties. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was beastly. That was beastly. That was terrible. That was awful. Awful. Not, not just beastly, but beast. Lee. Mm, beastly. Yeah. Wanika. Be- beastly Wanika. Yeah. 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 Uh, my apologies, uh, everyone. Uh, I was basically just trying to key up some kind of Beastie Boys reference because it's been far too long since Glenn has busted into uh, Paul Revere in my presence. So, you know, that's basically Dude, if you're trying what I'm to get me to sing, you got to do better than that. Holy <laughs> crap. That was crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're going to start doing. We're going to start counting how many times Glenn says, that was crap. That was crap. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. All right. Be- before I mean, everybody's got to have a catchphrase, right? <laughs> yeah. Be- <laughs> All right. Before 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 I before I buy too deeply into this sabotage, let's try to get the episode back on track here. Uh, we are going to be talking tonight about the Paladin oaths of devotion the nine oaths of devotion across the books. We're going to rank them all as we do usually. Uh, Standard scoring system uh, that we always use. Again, we're going to rank them on mechanics and flavor, one through nine. Um, and then we have a pool of wild card points and a pool of, uh, of, of 
do I want to play this points maximum score tonight for a particular subclass would be if I do my math correctly here 38 uh, minimum score of four as always and looking down through the scores nobody got a perfect score which is good but someone did get super duper close to one uh, and nobody got the minimum score either although uh, from the same co-host someone got super duper close so uh, would that be would that be me would that be that would be you uh, mm. uh, That'd be you, Glenito. Uh, that's well, the uh, one that I rated really low. It's because it's total crap. It's not that bad. Come on, no, it's, I mean, okay, fine. We'll, we'll we'll get there in a minute. But uh, as always, we're gonna go through the subclasses in book order, with one exception tonight. Actually, we're not gonna talk about the Oathbreaker until the very end, and that's from the Dungeon Master's Guide. So we'll get into Oathbreaker. Oathbreaker is kind of a a thing unto itself. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit separately. Uh, but otherwise, we're gonna go ahead and uh, talk about them in book order. Um, and we're going to start tonight with Oath of the Ancients. So looking at the scores, uh, all of us ranked it pretty close together. The, the average score on this was a little bit over 24, which puts it right kind of in the middle, which that's a pretty standard. I would say that across the subclass discussions that we've had, this tends to be the case, right? That the first one that's in the player's handbook tends to be pretty middle of the road, right? It's not bad. It's not great. It's just kind of very middle of the road. I do think that there is a very interesting thing about this particular subclass. Uh, and much like uh, last episode when I wanted to talk about the the aura of protection and its uh, its friendly creature uh, verbiage there, the the turn that an oath of ancients paladin gets affects fey creatures. Does that mean that an oath of ancients paladin can turn elves? Well, what is their creature type? They're they're humanoid. Because the turn ability is about creature type. So if it's right. creature type is not fey. Gotcha. No. Okay. All right. Right. So to be fair, what then follows is if you take the feet fey touched, how does that rate? Because yeah. an elf is uh, descended from the fey, and a ladrin is closer to the fey than an elf. So does this ability turn on the ladrin, even though its creature type is still humanoid? No. By raw, by raw, no. But what if you have an Aladdin who's Fae Touch? That's about as close to being a Fae creature as you can get. Does Fae Touch change the creature type? It doesn't specifically say that. However... Then no. However... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I have played in a game where the DM regards those who are Fae Touch as Fae. When Fae come into contact with that individual... They regard them as one of theirs. And, and you play in that game too, because two of the player characters in the party are Fae Touch. Actually, three of one of the NPCs and two of the player characters, my character being one of them. In the game that I run, that is how I rule that as well. Fae Touch as a feat, yes. An elf, no. An Aladrin, it's never come up in my game. If somebody wanted to play an Aladrin, I guess I'd have to think about that. Uh, maybe I would say yes, but they get some kind of resistance or advantage to the role or something like that. I don't know how I would do that. I, it, I haven't been presented yeah. with it. But yep. uh, I could see the argument, and I think from a narrative standpoint, it would make sense. Yeah, I mean, that's that, I think that it kind of opens up a, a, a can of worms here, and that, that's kind of where I was going with that. Now, narratively, I do agree with you. And as a storyteller, I'd support story over rules. But when it's straight up and clear... When you're talking about a creature type, unless your creature type is changed to fey, 
then it wouldn't affect you. I mean, that's that that's pretty cut and dry, black and white. I mean, so that would be a straight up overturning of a black and white rule, which I don't do often. I don't see as much gray area there as y'all are. I get it. But Faye touched doesn't mean enough Faye to be turned by a creature who's native to that realm any more than a Genasi, uh, a fire Genasi who was born on this plane, who's native to this plane would be able to be banished to the elemental plane of fire by a watcher, which we'll talk about as an oath later, um, because he's not an extra planar being. Yep. I, I just, I, I see where you're going and I don't disagree with the choices that you're, you're, you're making or that you're making them. It's just for myself. I'm not certain that I could, I, I would go the same way. I think if, that if I would If it's land a leap too far, side. I get that. Yeah. If it's a leap I, I too far. I think it's just too much. All right, fair enough. Let's talk about the about the other mechanic. Looking at kind of the the mechanics in here, I thought that the 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 aura that uh, you get at level seven uh, was really 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 nice. And I'm- aura of warding. Yes, thank you. Beginning at seventh level, ancient magic lies so heavily upon you that it forms an eldritch ward. You and friendly creatures within ten feet have resistance to damage from spells. This is one of the hot abilities hot yeah. Yeah. hot hot that's a really good aura we we spoke last week about paladins being the one that everybody wants to be around look you go into the wizard's den you are certainly hanging tight with your paladin on this one now to the other side of the coin though i thought and i think we're going to see this a lot with uh with the paladins we talked you know, i talked about this last episode about how kind of there's this there's this spread of powers because the the subclass powers go all the way through 20th level before you get into the 20th level ability let's talk for a minute about undying sentinel this is something that has a lot of flavor but to me it's one of those abilities that while it's cool when it happens i as a player never want to use it doesn't matter whether you're talking about a half orc or an orc or any of the number of creatures that have this ability or similar abilities. I don't want to find out what happens when they go to zero and bounce back to one hit point. That's a bad day. That's a bad, That's a bad day. It's <laughs> a bad day, Ripley. It's a bad day. Yeah. But look at it this way. At 15th level, how big is your lay on hands pool? It's pretty significant. Yeah, 15 by 5. Yeah, 70 points, right? So as long as you've got a solid amount left, that saves your ass. You lay on hands yourself your next round and you stay up. Not getting it till 15th, though, I think I think that's coming a little late for an ability that, you know, a half-orc gets at level born. Zero. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, level born. <laughs> level born. You know, it's just one of those things. It's like if you were getting it at level born, it's like, okay, it's a neat thing. It's not yeah. the greatest ability, but it certainly wouldn't make me turn it down. It's a cool ability, but 15th is way too late for that to be coming in. If I choose this, I'm choosing it because of flavor, because it's cool for an I like the other parts of it. Additionally, you suffer no drawbacks of old age, and you can't be aged magically. That's yeah, cool. I thought that was cool, too. That, that lets you play the human who lives Especially two Especially if you're pretty, you know you want to be pretty. That lets you play the human who lives two campaigns with Androsius. Because I'm <laughs> lasting with no drawbacks. That's cool. That's when an yeah, elf 98, you're still fighting. Well, wait a minute. Hold on here. So when it says that you suffer none of the drawbacks of old age and you can't be aged magically, does that mean that you still don't die? Like, is death from old age considered a drawback? No. So, yeah, you're, you may be questing until you're 90, uh, theoretically. But 
but that's two generations for a human, whereas yeah, your average human fair. only gets about 30 years of quest time. Yeah, that's fair. Know? Okay. Possibly three. From a campaign perspective, let's say we're playing in Alanis, where we're playing multi-generational. I play a human for three campaigns. That's impressive. That's a story that they write for ages. That's that's legendary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, okay. And, and I think that's cool. But we can go back even further than that to find an interesting ability to talk about real quick before we hit the 20th level, just so we've touched on them all. The very first channel divinity. Yeah. I just want to go on record as saying that Nature is Wrath is my favorite channel divinity modification in terms of like, wow, that was outside of the box for Paladin. Yeah. Basically, it gives you a single target entangle. Yep. Yeah. So here's my question about that, though. At third level, they already get ensnaring strike. And is that a double dip? Maybe, but at least your ensnaring strike strike is now safe for a smite. You don't have to use it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, okay. I, I would agree that ensnaring strike could have been replaced with a different spell if they were going to give them that channel divinity, or by giving them the bonus action cast of ensnaring strike. They should have come up with something else. Yeah, but I still think it's cool that they added that into the divine. Mental divinity. I thought that was a cool use of the ability, but yeah, it does create an imbalance. Yeah, I, I really loved this this oath of like I loved the flavor of this subclass. I just thought that the mechanics were kind of middle of the road. Definitely, yeah, lackluster. Yep. So, yeah, question for the audience on this, or you guys, if you happen to know, when you have the restrained condition, you are typically fighting against it. Is that DC versus the spell DC? Because if that's the case, this might be one of the str- this might be one of the strongest restraints in the game once you get to higher levels. It says this in the Paladin class channel divinity. Some channel divinity effects require saving throws. When you use such an effect from this class, the DC equals your Paladin spell save DC. Holy crap! Solved. That is an amazing, an amazing channel divinity. Because like we were talking about getting to fifteenth level, that is. St- Stupid. Think about this, because your spell save spell save is eight plus your proficiency bonus plus your charisma modifier. Right. So you're talking like a DC 16, 17? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's that ain't wrong. Oh, hey, now I like it even more. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move on here because we could talk about Path of the Ancients all night long. But again, all of us kind of ranked it middle of the road. Next one that we have is the Oath of Devotion. Now, Liwanika, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot here because you ranked uh, Oath of Devotion uh, much higher than either Glenn or myself. Uh, so have at it. This is the classic paladin. This is what I came here for. This is everything. When you hear about a paladin, when you hear about, oh, that's the goody two-shoes, that's this guy. When you think about the guy in plate armor with the great sword. Or, or the long sword and the big ass shield. He, he flips the helmet up. When you think of Strongheart from the original D, uh, AD&D game and who made guest appearances on the AD&D cartoon, you're thinking Oath of, De- of Devotion Paladin. And I think one, flavor comes through, but two, I really love the the mechanics here i just it was everything i really wanted it would be hard for me to pick the next one i play depending on the game something other than this because this is probably the paladin that i associate with paladin most and this is probably the one that i would want to play the most Uh, even though that's not where it ranked because mechanically things are better or different whatever but uh, yeah it was just super strong for me 
I agree with you that this is sort of the ideal paladin. And the question that I ask is that, is the ideal of this paladin too hard for regular people to enjoy playing without being an asshole? No. Yeah, I don't think so. It's, it is more difficult, but it's not. It's not too hard to play. Too hard is too strong a term. I, I think what we what we are revealing is Liwanika and my play style <laughs> more than anything else. So, uh, so uh, Glenn, you you ranked Oath of Devotion uh, at only a twelve here. What are your thoughts? So I put, I mean, like just speaking to what we were just talking about, my opening notes were classic Pally, pain to play but doable. So I kind of land in the middle of the two of you on that one. So it no longer has to be full lawful good, which makes it a little bit better. It's got okay flavor because, you know, it's the classic paladin. So it's got all of the paladins that have come before from third generation back to serve for history and flavor. So it's there. Um, but I thought its mechanics were lackluster. Uh, the spell list is decent and the aura is okay. Uh, but the 15th level ability where you can't be charmed and fr- charmed or frightened, you already get that from yeah. auras and your abilities anyway. So the only thing that it's really offering you at that point, though it's a good deal is disadvantage on the evil creature's attempts to hit you. That's an awesome that's an awesome ability, but half of the level 15 ability you already have. The way they built it does not work for me. I think mechanically it's kind of kind of cruddy. It's got okay flavor, but honestly the the way the Devotion Paladin plays, I think it's doable. But I don't think a whole lot of people can have too much fun with it without pissing off their friends. Yep, that's that's where I came down on it too. I I totally am in agreement with you um, on that one. Glenn. If they so. play well, that's why I said the average person, Liwanika. If they play well, they can work with a party that does not support a devotion paladin and role play in a change to make them fit the party or leave and roll a new tune. Unfortunately, when that happens, if you wind up playing a character that is black and white. If your party strays too far into the gray, you will face a choice, whether you play this one or the Redemption Paladin. You will face a choice, and that's either to change yourself or to leave, possibly, at some point. you got to be prepared for that. All right, Glenn, I'm going to ask you to carry on here, because the Vengeance Paladin, uh, you ranked of your favorite of the subclasses. And so, tell us about that. What do you think? All right, so part of the reason that that wound up happening is because, while I was reading it, a story came into my mind, a backstory for a character. All right, so that's how it won wild card. That's how it won what I want to play the most next is because the backstory that spun itself as I read about the uh, Oath of Vengeance was just a whole lot of fun. But that's the thing about it. The Oath of Vengeance is literally just that. You're taking an oath to avenge some horrible thing that's happened to you in the past, right? So you're not a bright and shining knight. I mean, you could be a a straight-up gritty brutal fighter who's doesn't hurt the innocent you know but he's ruthless and just all about vengeance at all costs and i mean it's straight up in there by any means necessary is one of the tenets of vengeance my qualms can't get in the way of exterminating my foes that doesn't mean that you're going to murder hobo a town just to get to the guy behind it um but it gives you a fair amount of of leniency in terms of the directions that you go with the, with the name paladin right mm-hmm and, you know, the alert, the avenging sword of justice is kind of an alluring ca- paladin concept, you know, even if you got that darker or grittier outlook. Mechanically, I thought it was strong. It's got a good spell list. I like the frightened turn of yeah. one. Um, I thought that was an interesting switch on the channel devotion. I liked that a lot. Yeah. But my favorite in terms of mechanics was the vow of enmity. 
channel divinity. I think that is sexy as hell, especially when it scales up afterwards. Now, mind you, you don't use your channel divinity every cha every fight you get into, right? That's kind of a special occasion thing. So what I want you guys to do when I read Vow of Enmity is think of this as the ability that your paladin pulls out against your big bad guy who's standing there with a gazillion hit points and he's got a high armor class and he's hard to hit. That's the guy that you throw out the vow of enmity on and it's it's got a role play aspect too because you're supposed to utter a vow right as a bonus action then you mutter this vow of enmity against a creature that you can see within 10 feet of you so yeah you have to close and then from that point on you gain advantage on all of your attacks rolls for one minute so for the next 10 rounds against the boss you have advantage on every attack roll yep yeah that's that's really powerful and then at 15 it expands further to greater power over your foe. So now, not only do you get advantage every time they attack for that next minute, anytime they make an attack, you can use your reaction to attack them if it's within your range. So that's, wow. And you're getting two attacks anyway, so that's three attacks. That's three to one attacks against uh, your big baby. Yep. So mm. the, the Oath of Vengeance Paladin is probably one of the stronger mixes of abilities that they put in there just from that because i mean if your job is to take somebody down and and just cut them up as brutally as you possibly could because you know you're an oath of vengeance paladin what better set of abilities to do that than than those two in the way that they nest together i mean that's, that's slowing down yeah. the guy that you're on plus smite um so yeah big 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 fan and the story just to give it to you that came into my mind was actually going to wind up being a nautical paladin uh, because it was about a guy whose oath of vengeance he's left on the plank watching the sails of the pirates, you know, leave. And he's the only survivor from his crew. And that's kind of where it started. And that's where his oath mm. came into being. So now I'm working, I've been really into the nautical campaign Ooh, thing for a while. Captain so now a I've got a Captain Ahab as an oath of vengeance paladin. Yeah. yeah. And now I've got a sailor captaining a ship with as an oath of vengeance paladin hunting pirates. And that's where I was headed. His oh. Oath of Vengeance doesn't have to stop with the ship that took him down. Every pirate ship he sees. Yeah, okay. um, yeah that's yeah. until Len. Kill them. Kill all of them. She wasn't talking about the soldiers. She was talking about the entire human race. You know, that, that's, that's, that's where that was for those who love Babylon 5. That's an Oath of Vengeance paladin right there. I wanted to tell a story as well, so thank you for that, Glenn. Because these are more than just your standard uh, edgelords. And while they're often played that way, they can be so much more. My Saturday game has a player who plays Arthur, uh, a Vengeance Paladin. Uh, and while he's questioning whether he will remain that, I still remember uh, the big fight where they were, uh, where the party was in this underground uh, arena. Mayhem ensued. The barbarian was fighting with his scimitar for the command of the goblin tribes. There was one particular enemy who orchestrated that fight that was trying to get away. And I foolishly, as a storyteller, allowed him to linger. Oath of Enmity was called upon by the paladin. And then as mayhem ensued, this guy ran across the bear. The paladin tracked him down through that. He then used the ability Misty Step. Uh, the, the spell to clear that distance to get even closer. He then added Hunter's Mark on top of that. And, and he then frightened the dude so he stood in one spot and 
proceeded to house his ass. <laughs> he <laughs> dropped the hammer on this guy uh, with all the smites and just it, it, what should have been a guy big enough to produce a good three, four round battle back and forth. He was frightened. <laughs> he was stuck. He was hunters marked and he had a vow of enmity and he got destroyed in like two in two rounds once once he got caught up and he started that after he got close enough to get the vow of enmity i actually had created through movement and a few other situations almost 80 feet of distance and the paladin caught up yeah 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 it was it was it was harsh it was harsh and i learned right then and there how great a vengeance paladin can be uh, they yeah. are amazing. Yeah, I so I had a. Uh, both of you guys have have said sort of exactly why where this subclass is so great. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drag that out too far. Only to say that you are not wrong, and this is one of those subclasses that just kind of kept falling down as other things got put in front of it. Right. Uh, sometimes when we do these subclass rankings, we'll say something is like, oh, this is clearly the best one. And then mm. by the time we're done, like mine wound up ranked uh, th- three, po- three points <laughs> for, for flavor uh, by the end of it. And, and, and a lot of that, I think, comes down to the fact that I think, again, kind of like the Devotion Paladin, it has the opportunity to really go off the Zealot rails, which yeah. might be fun as hell in the right game. But in the wrong game is really going to be a is going to be a, pr- a problem for the, everybody else at the table to contend with, and that's sort of I think where some of my flavor rankings were, were tempered a little bit. Glenn, I'm, I'm right with you on the frightened uh, version of Channel Divinity. I think that's fantastic. Uh, it's a really really nice, uh, really really nice ability and uh, a really nice twist on that ability. My second favorite ad- adaptation. What 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 this what this class does is it continues to go ahead and find ways to have advantage, which you know. Super powerful all the way through. So yeah, I, I I agree with you, Josh. It could go that way. I think the quality of player I have playing one, and so I every other week for the last year and a half to two years, ha- and this is not a player that I've known my whole life. This is a player I met when he brought the character to me to play in the game that had already been going on for a year, and I was a bit wary. I'm like, man, it's another Edge Lord. I didn't think this was something I was going to like. And I got to tell you, it, it is probably one of, you know, I, I, nobody picks their favorite children, but it is one of the <laughs> favorite. It is one of my all-time favorite characters that I've ever story told for across 30 years. And I'm saying top 20 characters I've ever story told for. And that's crossed all games. So, you know, when I ran Lars, there's almost 100 characters in that game. So for me to say it's in the top 30 all-time of all characters, all games, all genres, that tells you how much I really love this character. And that's why everything kept higher than me, for me, rather than dropping because of that. So I have to ask a question now, because I've been sitting here dealing with a, a term that I don't understand. And I've been going, well, I could just let it go. But maybe there's somebody else out there in our audience that doesn't know either. So what the hell is an edgelord? Oh. It is a uh, and, and I, it is a poorly defined term. I will freely admit that. It is a phrase that I picked up from watching far too many YouTubes uh, over many many years. It's basically what they determine as anything that seems to be edgy. It is the emo. I'm I'm the loner. I'm the Wolverine. Ed- edgy and uh, contrarian. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm the best at what I do. Killing is my business. 
and business is good. It is that gotcha. type okay. of character. It's the kind of guy with Punisher stickers on the back of his truck. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. I'm with you. Let's let's move on here. And so I'm going to get into. I'm going to start off with. Uh, so we leave the player's handbook and enter the kind of the the dark horse favorite book that's starting to kind of gain gain popularity among the podcast here and that's the sword coast guide um and the oath of the crown see sword coast gets a lot of flack but it's not a bad book it's not a bad book at all and and it is it is it is warming i I am warming to it i really am oath of the crown was my abs was actually my favorite of the subclasses here look at you i'm a little hurt i'm a little hurt and i knew it would be i'm a little hurt oh interesting okay i want to dive into that in just a second here I, I want to dive into that in just a second, Glenn, because I'm curious why you would say that. But Banneret, case closed. <laughs> See, actually, so I went a different direction than with the Banneret. Uh, when I read uh, Oath of the Crown, there was one quote that came into came into mind. I'm going to do an awful uh, Sylvester Stallone impression. I am the law, right? This he's Judge Dredd, right? I thought that this was the Paladin's Paladin. This is the gold cloak defender of the crown. I absolutely loved the flavor for this, and I thought right out of the gate, all the way through, that the mechanics for this class were fantastic. I, and honestly, I, I didn't even make the connection to the banneret until you said that just now, Glenn. But you're absolutely right. The, the Drudge Dread comment surprised me in your notes because I read—I don't read y'all's notes till after I do mine, but then yeah, I yeah. go and glance. Um, and I'm like, okay, I see where he's going with that, but that's not where I expected him to go. Yeah, yeah, no, but you're you're absolutely right. I mean, th- it's so there's a there's a lot of commonality there, and I think that if if I were to play a paladin. This is the one that I'm going to play. So I freely admit regarding the banneret that it was, I have similar problems with both subclasses. I have to say my issue with the Oath of Crown is similar to the banneret. I wanted it to be so much more. I wanted the purple dragons to be what I envisioned from reading them. Mechanically, it's not. Flavor-wise, I can make it that way, but mechanically, it's not. And while the mechanics may be good, it doesn't make it what it's supposed to be. With the Oath of Crown, I have a very similar sense. I haven't played one. I've never had one at a table. I've never been in a game with one. So much to say, I don't know what this plays like at the table. I have no idea, which is part of the reason why it dropped so low for me. I am now second-guessing myself. I would have rated this even lower before I played Simeon. But now it's a I don't know. And with Simeon so far, I'm finding I have to get a couple more levels. We're only level three going into four. So I don't know if the level five, six, and seven abilities are going to make it more mechanically sound than I thought it was. And if that happens, then I will be completely 100% wrong about, about the Banneret. And I would say the same thing about this. Until I see it played, I'm never going to know. I want it to be more. I don't think it gets to Judge Dredd. And by the way, your Judge Dredd impression is basically what I think about this. It's a little lackluster. This is an issue where only Judge Anderson would help me figure this out. Like we really need, we really need to understand and get into this character. Somebody somewhere has got to play one so I can see how it works. It just, I'm not sure. And that's why it dropped for me. I just don't know right. anymore. You, I will t- I will tell you this then. Next time that I roll up a D&D character that you're playing at, I will play an Oath of Crown Paladin. And it'll be the first Paladin I have ever, ever played. So mechanically, I liked it, kind of. I mean, there's some of it that's kind of crap. But it's got decent mechanics. 
I ranked it low on flavor, and it's not really its fault. And it's going to be similar to the Banneret and my issues with it. And also the other one that's supposed to be the Cavalier. And it's that they didn't actually give you any flavor. They told you what it could be a little bit in super loose terms. Like, you know, these are the guardians on the walls, the exemplars, the sentinels. Um, you know, they believe in law. And I, I get all of that. But in terms of that versus the classic paladin, what, what makes them different? And that part's not there. So yep. I think that I could make Crown cool in my world, but it would be because I designed an order around it. And that's mm. where its flavor would come from. So that's the lowest score it got for me was flavor. They didn't do enough work on that one. They just kind of said, we're going to call it law. Well, we can't just call it law. So law is government. Crown, we'll go with crown. And they threw together a, a subclass. That's how it feels right. to me in terms yep. of the way that they, they gave it its flavor. But mechanically, it's not bad, except uh, turn the tide, I think, is pretty <laughs> after you get past tier one. I mean, by the time you're ninth level how good is a d6 plus your charisma modifier heal i don't care if you get every one of your party members in it as a bonus action you can bolster injured creatures with your channel divinity each creature of your choice that can hear you within 30 feet regains 1d6 plus your charisma modifier minimum of one if it has no more than half of its hit points so everybody has to already be at half health when they already had or less and they're gonna and when when they have 70 and they're gonna get I actually air, uh, said that a third or fourth tier party wants this paladin. A first or second tier party could care less. Uh, I, uh, see, uh, <laughs> it's only that heal that only applies to the first tier. I mean, a D6 plus your charisma modifier in a heal is only truly helping somebody on death's door once you're past level three, honestly, even at four and five. Yeah. For your fighter, anyway. Yeah, especially since we've already said that charisma is not going to be their prime stat. It's probably going to be their second or third stat. So yeah. we did we did say that collectively, and I didn't speak up at the time, but I will speak up now. I always, when playing Paladins, make charisma my prime stat. And I say this... Really? Always. I often do as well. Uh, I And here's why. One, spellcasting. Two, roleplay. Three... I will then use the lineage choices to build up the others to make up for that difference. Because honestly, yeah, if you're doing po- if you're doing point by or standard array, you're basically putting a 15 in that stat. So how do you get a 12 to a 15? Lineage choices and then your first feat done, or your first ASI. You either do a straight ASI or you pick the right. St- uh, you pick the right between lineage and the rest. You pick the right thing. If I'm playing uh, a variant human, I'm pretty much close there anyway. You know, so I will make strength or dexterity. I have made more paladins with strength, dexterity, and uh, charisma all at that 15 to 16 range uh, than anything else because it's very easy to do if you make the right lineage choices. Okay. And strength isn't important for the paladin in terms of his damage, right? So if you've only got a 16 strength instead of a an 18 uh, for for your damage bonus, that's okay. You're going to smite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and here's the deal: when you get your when you get your feats, you take. Uh, if I'm using a sword, I, I use slash. Use slash. If I go short sword, I use piercer. And I'm going to make up for that little bit of negative with that, and I get a half ASI when I choose those. There are so many ways to pick those up. 
it is harder to pick up charisma than it is strength or dexterity. There Fair are enough. tons of things to pick up strength and dexterity. So I would always put my top in, in that one to better benefit those heels. And then I can build up the others as I go, as they become more important where the other thing is harder. So uh, next one on the list here. So we move from kind of the first generation of books into our second generation of books and go into Xanathar's and Oath of Conquest. Woo! Now, Liwanika, you ranked Oath of Conquest as your number one. So you have the floor, sir. Just subclass, like uh, the flavor, the spells, the features. Totally, totally impressed. And uh, this, this one conquered my heart. When I do make that paladin I'm talking about, I'm leaning this way. This is the way I'm probably going to go. I love Oath of Conquest. The spells are amazing. I love Armor of Agathus. Command is never a bad thing. Hold person never fails to be strong. Spiritual weapon, if you have the ability to take it and you don't, you're foolish. You know, bestow curse is solid. Fear is solid. Dominate beast, yeah. Stone skin, always a good one. I messed up my, almost an entire party with a cloud kill spell the other day. Uh, and then, again, Dominate Person, it's still a somber in me that just loves that spell. There is nothing about that spell list. Every single one is a choice that I would use. If there is a downside to this spell list, it's the fact that I would not want to trade one of those for a smite because most of them are that good. I am going to I'm going to throw out one option for the spell list and cuz only cuz I mentioned this specifically I almost never look at the spell list one specific switch that I would have made is that instead of bestow curse I would have given it hex I just think from a flavor point of view a paladin cursing somebody doesn't feel right but hex gives better mechanical benefit and and I think would be a little bit more uh in tune so I I, I get all. that I and I agree I think they're if you could trade out one, that's the one I would trade. It's a strong spell, so I don't dis dislike it as an option. But could there have been a better flavored one? Yeah. And, and, and that is less than a quibble to me. Um, uh, I just I just love this conquering presence. I love Frightened as a condition. I think it's fun. It is one of the few conditions as a storyteller I like to throw on party members because it doesn't stop them from playing. They may not be able to advance, but they can still act. And uh, as opposed to, I don't like paralyzing players. It's weird. It's a weird thing for me. I don't like taking away agency or making people sit still and idle for turns. This allows people to take their turn. They are hampered. They are disadvantaged, but they can still have fun with the game and interact with the game. And so I like that. And I like that that effect as a player similarly. You know, if, if, I, if we're having some inner party turmoil, if I frighten somebody, I've not robbed a, a fellow player of agency. And that is important to me. Um, not that I would want to use it against a party. I'm not advocating PvP. But there are story and narrative reasons why sometimes it's cool where characters don't get along in a moment or disagree in a moment and you want to role play that out without going to fatal blows. This is one of those things that can allow you to do that. And I think that's pretty awesome. I hear what you're saying and I hear why you like it so much. And again, I just guided strike. Come on, come on. Plus 10 to your role, son. Okay. Once for short rest. Okay. So yeah, it's once. I'll that's great. I'll, I'll take a you know. I'll, I'll take a plus ten to a roll against a, a a big bad. Okay, I'll take guided that. Strike yeah. is a good guided strike is a good ability. It's I, I have it right in my notes. I said it says guided strike is groovy. 
I guess, I guess again, what I'm seeing with this, and and I think maybe I uh, perhaps I'm banging this drum a little too often. I think it's an interesting spin on the Paladin concept. It has great flavor. I just something about it doesn't sit right. Like I'm looking at like at, at Scornful Rebuke, right? Starting at 15th level, those who dare to strike you are psychically punished for their audacity. Psychic damage, y'all. That sentence. Psychic oh, mechanic damage. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, abil- the ability mechanically is neat. Yeah. But I read it and I'm like, what the f***? Pardon my language. But honestly, how, what, how does that make sense? What does that have to do with this class? Right. We've talked about this before, about how like removing of agency and how things are worded and how things should be worded better. Scornful rebuke, those who dare to strike you are psychically punished for their audacity. There's something about that sentence that puts this paladin into a mind frame that I don't like. And that's, and that's, I think, that's, I think where my issue is here. I, I don't I don't like the term scornful. I don't think they should be scornful. Uh, but right. I like the idea of attacking me makes your mind hurt because I'm all that. I like that idea. I like psychic damage in that space. I don't like that word as a defining term for it. So see, for me, this class this subclass leans heavily towards the NPC category, which you've talked about before. Um, there's a lot of narrative potential and there's a lot of cool that could come from it with the right story the right player the right storyteller and the right party connections but i'm going to help finish pushing you over the edge of why you don't like this class it's because it is not good it doesn't have to be (laughs) evil but it is not good and as storytellers who tend to spend tales of good triumphing over evil where we don't want our parties to be evil where we're telling stories of you know depravity or less bad right listen to the very first tenant in the oath of conquest douse the flame of hope it is not enough to merely defeat an enemy in battle your victory must be so overwhelming that your enemy's will to fight is shattered forever a blade can end a life fear can end an empire yeah no person of good can swear that tenant I disagree. How 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 do you how do you say a good character rules with an iron fist? I douse the flame of hope because if your enemy, depending on who your enemy is, if if I'm fighting the hordes of chaos, the realm of de- demons and, and and whatnot, who are all self-willed, self whatever people, whatever, if I'm fighting that. Yeah, I want to break their will. Maybe maybe this is not my most flattering quality. <laughs> and I'm going to be on the interwebs and say this, so judge me as you will. But I'll be honest with you. I don't like fighting somebody twice. Anytime you fight somebody twice, they have had the opportunity to figure out how to beat you. Mm-hmm. I want to fight them once, and I want them to never choose to fight me again. I want them to choose to never fight me again. And that to me is why this speaks to me. That's why I think the psychic damage is there. That's what I love about this class. I don't think that makes me a bad person. I think that makes me oh, a, hell no. a determined You're a great person. I, I think it makes me a determined person. I think it perfectly exemplifies or displays the challenge of a true professional soldier doing their job so well, yet they're still struggling to be a good person. And the narrative within that framework is so 
freaking juicy. I can't, I can't imagine doing that better. If you came to me and said, I'm going to play an Oath of Conquest Paladin, even though I just said this leans heavily towards the NPC, I mean, there'd be conversations involved, but I can almost guarantee you that by the time we were done talking, I would let you play it. But you got to keep in mind that you're reading in what you see and what you want. You see Oath of Conquest, but not conquest over any adversary. You see it as Oath of Conquest, conquest over evil. Yeah. Yes. But that's not the way it's written. So in terms of your average Joe that's not us reading this, that's why I ranked the class the way that I did. But that's, you could 100% make a conquest over evil paladin and make it rock, come up with your own tenets that change the name, the, the wording a little bit. But the flavor as they wrote it smacks of I'm not a nice guy. <laughs> And, and so here's my thought between this and Oath of Vengeance. I think this is a this is a quote unquote more good than Vengeance. Oh, I totally disagree. That and again, that's my personal take. We don't have to specifically agree, and I think it's an interesting thing that we do disagree on this one. It's what no I love worries. about it's a, what it's what I love about this show is the fact. <laughs> By no that, means, yeah. Do I think Vengeance is a good paladin? And I'll be honest, I think it kind of leans towards possibilities too. But sometimes I think we don't give our players enough credit. Like I said, Arthur is playing the 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 player playing Arthur is doing an amazing thing, and he is playing a very good character and changing better and better as he plays and still being in the, if he makes the choice to stick with oath of vengeance versus something else with what he's done and role played i could fully support that choice if he changed it to devotion or something else i could fully support that there's a war going on in my campaign in my campaign world if he chose conquest i could fully support that as well because that's just how well he's role played the changes with the internal changes of con and conflicts within the character uh but i think and it's just me with the, the words themselves i think of conquest being less of a good versus evil issue than vengeance i find vengeance to be not good vengeance is a dark hero it doesn't have to be evil, but he's not necessarily going to be right. good. Let's 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 move on here. Uh, uh, we're going to stick in Xanathar's and talk about uh, uh, one that isn't very isn't very good. We're going to talk about the Oath of Redemption here, and I here's my issue with the Oath of Redemption is that its mechanics are fine. There are some. Uh, there are some quibbly th type things. This is the one that I'd mentioned it before about how uh, how the paladin subclass tends to do a really pa paladin subclasses tend to do a really good job of starting with like a ten foot range and expanding to a thirty foot range. This is the one uh, that starts at five foot range and goes to thirty feet, which I think was just inconsistent for inconsistencies sake but the heal at 15th level is is really good and we've seen some some bad heals kind of uh that are helpful but not helpful at big levels the level 15 heal is fantastic the whole build just seems to go against the grain of how a paladin should be built. I actually think that an Oath of Redemption paladin could be a fantastic patron NPC, a very specific type of NPC uh, in, in the game. But uh, uh, Glenn, you ranked this uh, a five. <laughs> uh, uh, what are your thoughts on it? Say it. Oh, that's, that, Say it. 
it starts out my first note this is crap <laughs> my my and i'm gonna be honest i was very close-minded on this and i'm usually a pretty open-minded person but i couldn't get past this one thing so it just stopped and i didn't do any more ranking on it i just bloop gave it a one and everything except for not ranking it the lowest in terms of what i'd want to play next and that's simply this why would anyone as pacifistic as this is written and I get the concept of redemption. I'm I'm for the concept of a paladin who thinks that you know there's a spark of good. I'm playing a character right now. He's not a paladin. He's a ranger. He was originally a paladin, but he thinks there's a spark of good in everybody. But there's a big difference between that and everyone who is not inherently evil by nature. You must try to redeem unless they've irrevocably proved that they can't be. If you're that much against hurting people like you read their tenants you know you, you never would have trained in the use of every martial weapon you wouldn't know how to use all <laughs> forms of armor yeah all right you wouldn't have trained in that many tools of violence you'd have learned a couple of non-lethal things to handle yourself and knock the dude over the head till you were done and just based on that one inconsistency i couldn't get past it this makes no sense it doesn't belong in the paladin class and i quit yeah uh i want to i want to one-up that this should have been pick all these abilities and make it a monk minus the weapon monk. stuff and you have a great shaolin monk yep it's the jedi for, it's the um uh from from rebel one there it's a um uh, i am one with the force the force is with me right it's that guy it's yeah. that guy yeah Absol absolutely yeah. And, and but uh, but even he was using a stick if they took this and said, you are losing all of your martial stuff, you can keep your armor. I'll let you keep your armor, but you lose all your martial weapons in favor of simple weapons. And we're going to give you some extra bonus, like you get an extra skill or maybe you get, uh, I, I don't know, an extra uh, ability point or something like that. I would be like, yeah, I would be a little further along the, this is getting better. It, but you are absolutely correct. This, why would you even be a paladin? Why would you be a martial class if you're that much of a pacifist? And this is not me digging on pacifists. No, not at all. I, this is me saying, if that's what you're going to be, be that. I will happily be the soldier to protect your ass. However, why would you train in death if your goal is to not kill? Because <laughs> yeah, training to the point where you have proficiency in all simple and martial weapons, I mean, that's literally training to take life. In every possible way. So it just doesn't, it doesn't quite fit. I mean, that doesn't mean that they couldn't have come up with something different here, but it just it doesn't work the way that it is, in my yeah. opinion, at all. Uh, and, and, and just for me, in closing, I will say a third of this game is combat. By taking this subclass, what you're saying is I'm actively working against a third of this game one third of this game and, and depending on the table you're at a full freaking half of this game is the part of the game that your character is supposed to be working and railing against yeah that's not a good time for anybody the d the dm is frustrated that you're not participating the party who's mad that you're not helping and you who can't do all right, let's move on here. Uh, let's move out of Xanathar's and move into, uh, again, kind of a Dark Horse book, the uh, Mystic Odyssey of Theros uh, and the Oath of Glory Paladin. Now, this one also appeared in Tasha's, but it first appeared in Theros. The uh, the Oath of Glory Paladin. And uh, Glenn, again, you scored, you scored this one really, really high, Glenn. So I love this one. I, I liked it too. I liked it a lot. This is my second favorite. Um, I play an Oath of Glory Paladin in Streams of Spirit, which I mentioned earlier, um, Zendrid, <clears throat> and she's a lot of fun. 
and she's a paladin of the Raven Queen, the Streams of Spiro campaign, the Raven Queen is trying to break into and be free with some other gods from another world into the world of Streams of Spear, kind of opening up the mythos of the world and expanding things, which is a really cool plot line that Ben's got going on. But Zendrid swore an oath to her glory because she is the first paladin of an order of paladins and a religious movement among the drow that deviates from what they've always done and gives them more options religiously and just in general as a people. So he's taken the drow in a really cool direction by doing this and giving them more of a society and more of a choice. And it's been a whole lot of fun. But all that to say that the way that the character came together with Oath of Glory and choosing to make it the glory of the Raven Queen as opposed to glory for herself was part of the, the concept I fell in love with when I made the, the Oath of Glory Paladin. But I was already biased because I'm currently playing, playing one and really enjoy it. It's still super cool because, I mean, you're basically saying you want to do great things. That doesn't mean good or bad. You want to do great things. You want fame over fortune. Fortune's not bad either. It's just got, it's, it's got a lot to work with. It's fairly open-ended. And its mechanics are the strongest, in my opinion, of all of the subclasses in terms of the way that it's balanced. Peerless Athlete is... Uh, a little bit situationally specific, but basically you get advantage on strength, athletics, and dexterity acrobatics checks. Can push, pull, lift, drag, etc. twice as much as normal. 10 feet increase in all of your jumps for 10 minutes. So you're using your channel divinity to literally become a physical specimen if you're facing some form of a physical skill challenge. It's oddly specific, but it works well and I've used it. It's going to be awesome in uh, Spiro because... Ben has figured out how powerful a battle master can be, so a lot of our enemies have battle master features and abilities, which means <laughs> that's you're a bad ready, time. <laughs> which means we will we are fighting a lot of situations where uh, we're being knocked down, we're being pushed, we're being moved uh, by by enemies. So being able to stop that by various ways will never be a bad thing, and that is very campaign specific. But even outside of that campaign. Uh, the ability to not be moved. That means battlefield control mm-hmm. leans towards the paladin. If you have the, between the utility of paladin spells, whatever your feet choices and your weapons choices may be, you then have this ability. Think about this as a paladin, even if you don't do feats, just choosing the shove action and this, you knock pe- more people down than not. And, and if they're down, not only do you have advantage, Everybody other than your archers has advantage. Yep. And with Inspiring Smite. Oh, inspiring Smite is Now great. you're also, yeah, now you're channel divinitying for a heal of 2d8 plus your level uh, divided amongst multiple creatures. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's solid all the way around. The Aura of Alacrity for a speed boost. Who doesn't want to run faster? Yeah. Yeah. I thought the Oath of Glory Paladin just sounded fun as hell. Like that was really, that's just the, that was the best comment that I could go ahead and put on there. It just seems fun. I prefer fun as Elysium. (laughs) The one above it here, the Oath of Redemption about uh, the Monk Paladin uh, there. I think the Oath of Glory is really the Monk Paladin. It's the physical specimen is uh, just kind of able to uh, impose his will where they see fit. So we're going to carry on here in Tasha's and talk about Oath of the Watchers. And this one, uh, Lunica, I think you made a comment about this in your notes here. Once again, Tasha's coming through with a really solid, well-written 
seems to be fun subclass. So I like this. It, it may not be the one I want to play the most, and I don't know why that is, other than my my personality screams conquest. It screams devotion, right? Uh, my, my personality doesn't scream this, but in the right party, if it's like, yeah, I'm going to play the paladin, but looking at the party makeup, I could easily see myself choosing making this choice. There are things <laughs> about this I truly, truly like. It is just one of those things that is solid. There's nothing about it I really didn't like. Uh, there were just other things that I liked more. I think the flavor was there overall. I think it was well-written, and it was cool. The title's evocative. Who didn't like the Watchers when they're watching Highlander? You know, who doesn't like What If? You know, I, the concept of that is there and that I think is just kind of cool. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love the way that this one was presented. Um, I love the spell list. I think the spell list was totally on point. Um, and uh, I thought the level 15 ability, uh, Vigilant Rebuke, was, uh, was just great. I thought it was really great. Yeah. So, so I like this one a lot too. I mean, it was it's it's full of flavor, just uh, written on its own, but a little bit oddly specific because of you know the the specific thing they're vigilant for, which is extra planar or otherworldly entities. But that 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 works still in terms of you know how you write it. It screams to me just like a number of other things did for the creation of an organization mm-hmm. in, yeah. in the world that could also be an order that works with horizon walkers from the ranger class. Um, and I think there's a lot of flavor you could build into your campaign world for it. Uh, and I think it could be a lot of fun to play. It's pretty well balanced too. How, how about this? Let's get a party of gift Yankee. We'll have a mm-hmm. soul knife. We'll have that psychic sorcerer. We'll have uh, a horizon walker and we'll have a oath of the watchers paladin. And then we can throw in whatever else we need to, to go along with that. But I think just those alone, <laughs> what else are we going to need? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think those alone would handle uh, a celestial warlock. It, yeah. A celestial warlock would be, would be the other one I'd want to put in there. I think that would be hot as heck. And, and if they're all, if they all happen to be Gith Yankee. Wow. Wow. That would be hot. We're gonna we're gonna backtrack here a little bit then and go back to the Dungeon Master's Guide for the last of our subclasses. And this is sort of the anti-subclass in the Paladin class, right? It's a we're gonna talk about the Oathbreaker class, which oh, man, you know, I just think that oh, it, it just seems like it's a challenging concept to introduce, right? It's kind of that dark Jedi vibe that's kind of neat. But again, the Oathbreakers just strike me as another paladin class that's better as an NPC than than as a, as a player character. This one was tough because I there was something that I didn't like about it, but I just I couldn't articulate it. I wasn't sure what it was. It's it's like I, I thought the mechanics were good, but I didn't like them. <laughs> yeah, Luminic, you go ahead. I mean, you you scored this higher than both Glenn and I, and and so tell me why I'm wrong. I I think I scored it that high because uh, I had my storyteller hat on more than my player hat. I can think of very few games where this would be a great character to play. But I can think of a lot of games where this would be a great character to have on the table interacting with the party, whether as an adversary or as an antagonist of some kind or possibly even as a big bad. I think this kind of works. in the, uh, Maybe a lieutenant for the big bad. I don't think it's good enough to be a big bad, but certainly a lieutenant for a big bad. It depends on what he's gone on to do since he broke his oath. Yeah. 
um, you know, I think I think there's a lot of things there that are kind of cool. Uh, what I did like about this the most is of all the subclasses that we've looked at that came from the DMG, I like this one the most. I really like this compared to other subclasses in the DMG. This to me was better than the rest in that book. So one of the best of that book speaks to the strength of paladins in the game for one in that they're just good in the game period. So any paladin is better than some other things that are out there looking at you. Most strangers, not the ones at my table, but most of them. And I think that that says something. And I think that's why I scored it a little higher because I, I gave it credit for being better than its contemporaries, you know, and at some point, if you're the best one in that race, even though that wasn't the best race, you got to get something out of it. I'm going to call you out a little bit on that. The only other subclass that we've looked at that's in the Dungeon Master's Guide is the uh, the Death Cleric. Okay, so we won in a two-dog race. <laughs> so we won in a two-dog race. We still won. Yeah, and, and the other Way one out was, in front. Way out in front. And the front. other one was such hot garbage, it was bad enough I thought it was more than just one. Like, I was surprised that this was as good as this coming from that book. Like, I really didn't expect this to be good. Uh, in any way, and I was su- I was pleasantly surprised. I think that's that's kind of, my score reflects the fact that I was pleasantly surprised with how it works. I would, however, be looking how to make it a stat block so I can use it uh, more readily, more easily as a as a bad. All right, Glenn, go go ahead. What did you and I were pretty aligned on our scores here? What did you think? Yeah, I'll keep it short. I'll basically just give you the synopsis of my notes. I mean, again, we've already said it. Great NPC subclass. Uh, which is why it's in the DMG. That's fair, yeah. It's not workable as a player class in most of my games unless, and I always throw this unless on there, a player comes to me with a kick-ass concept, an amazing backstory, and a workable strategy for how they're going to work with the rest of the party. If you can bring me that, I'll consider almost anything, right? And that's the, that's kind of the key here when we're talking about all these subclasses and whatnot. We're talking about NPC class versus player appropriate. It's all about how you as the player play it and making it work with everybody else from the perspective of everybody at the table is supposed to have fun. You can manage that. You can do anything. But it has huge flavor, huge flavor. And it might mechanically be the most balanced of all of them if you're willing to play an evil dreadlord. Yeah. Yeah. That is succinctly put what Josh and I have always said. The storytellers that we've always flocked to, the ones we talk about all the time, whether it be Marty Napier, whether it be Benito, uh, some of the other storytellers on the LARP side that we've had that are out there, we have flocked to the people who do just that. Come to them with those three elements and they will let you play in that playground. They will let you have that kind of fun. I love it. Let's wrap this around a little bit here and, and kind of uh, try to put a cap on this here. So once again, I, I find myself being drawn to this class through this exercise, right? Like I said at the beginning of last episode, I have never played a paladin in any edition ever. They're just not the type of character that I am drawn to. Um, and I am going to fully admit that I think... Some of my flavor rankings uh, in these subclasses reflected that. And by some, I mean probably all of them reflected that <laughs> paladins are just not what I gravitate to, right? And so the, the super paladin paladins uh, lost flavor points for me. 
so that's just kind of, I'm just kind of like musing through, uh, through the results here. Um, you know, I think that, uh, that Glenn, your observation about why I liked the, the, the oath of crown, uh, being so close to the banneret, I think is probably, uh, very much on point. I think that that's, uh, that's very much kind of the, the kind of character that I like to play, you know, but otherwise I thought that this is a really balanced class. And I'm going to point out Josh, that except for the fact that they threw a different name on it and a slightly different twist, a crown paladin is kind of a paladin's paladin. They're just more on the lawful side of it. Well, so, uh, and uh, we didn't really kind of get into this, but I, <laughs> we didn't get into this because I don't think that I'm right. <laughs> right. So I didn't want to kind of say this, but like, I kind of, I'm on the side of the fence that says that Paladin took a flavor hit for me when they no longer had to be lawful. Um, they didn't always have to be lawful good. If you remember, like in, in 3.5, you could go ahead and be like a lawful neutral or lawful evil Paladin. I, I think that they lost a little bit when they stopped enforcing that a paladin had to be lawful. See, I think part of the issue there, because this is actually paladin inappropriate, I think part of the issue there is that lawful for a paladin doesn't have to mean all of the tenets of law. And that's kind of the confusing point, right? It's like saying that uh, anybody who has a code of honor or, or follows the tenets of an oath they have something of the lawful bent in order to follow the tenets of that oath, or they wouldn't, right? It's just not their main cause. Yeah, yeah, I, that's fair. I appreciate the fact that uh, in these musings, you're giving us your perspective, and I celebrate that perspective, understand, better yet, better than celebrate it, I understand that perspective. But for me, the guy who's basically cast off the shackles of alignment in D&D for nigh on to 20 years, I don't give a whether they're lawful or not. I care about whether you follow the code. So yeah. F that lawful noise. Uh, it, it's not what I've been dealing with. In my own musings, Glenn pointing out how similar the crown, wa or, uh, crown was to uh, the Vanaret makes me give a lot of pause to the ranking I had on paper uh, because of how much fun I'm having playing Simeon. How much of that fun is the class? How much of it is the game? How much of it is the storyteller? How much is the players? Well, until I'm done, until I've gotten eight, ten levels under it, I don't think I can answer those questions. Nope, fair enough. But I can certainly say that that which is the class slash subclass is far better than I originally gave it credit for. Well, good. Excellent. I hope you enjoy it. Um, so just in terms of how uh, our rankings uh, came through on this. So our number one ranked subclass, Oath of Vengeance, um, led very much by the strong endorsement uh, by, by Mr. Myers. The number two ranked subclass was uh, the Oath of Glory. Uh, again, very much led by the, uh, by the vanguard of all things Paladin, Glenn Myers over there. Um, and the number three, which all of us kind of ranked very uh, kind of in tune with its final score, uh, was Oath of the Watchers. So uh, those were our top three. A nice spread through the books. A nice, uh, although actually Tasha's has got two of them from the top three. So that's that's I think Tasha's once again uh, kind of uh, showcases that uh, probably the best subclasses in the game were in Tasha's. So. And to be fair, if my narrative mind had seized hold of Oath of Ancients as much as it seized hold of Oath of Vengeance, and yeah. the story had grown there. Those two could have been swapped. It's just where the story grew in my brain. Oath, Oath of Ancients was tied for number four with with uh, with uh, Oath of Conquest, and it was only like a half a point behind uh, Oath of the Watchers. So, like it's it's right there. It's right there. So that's that's a that's a solid top five right there. So 
I'm pleased with our rankings. And once again, I'm filled with a lot of joy of characters that I can soon build. Uh, I do, I, we did the Warlock one, and in that process of researching, I built a Warlock for a play-by-post game. I now want to do an Oath of Conquest uh, Paladin, but again, i got to have the right game. So I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to build that, but uh, it's co- it's coming. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this discussion through the uh, through the subclasses. Uh, uh, as we promised, it was pretty entertaining. Uh, uh, glad that we uh, were not totally at each other's throats. Uh, you know, to enjoy. Uh, and you know, in all things, like go out play paladins. Paladins will be fun. Find the paladin. There are there's plenty of diversity to go ahead and find a paladin that that speaks to you. Um, just don't pay a both of redemption one because that one stinks. So. Yeah, yeah. No party will be bad for having two paladins. <laughs> nope. Nope. All right. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, and we will talk to you again uh, next week. So we come to you next week with our episode. Uh, this is going to be a great one for your Storyteller Toolbox where we talk about uh, Lair and Legendary Actions. So uh, make sure you Ooh, tune in. That yeah, that, that's uh, that's going to be a good one. We haven't even recorded it at this point yet, but I'm already looking forward to that one. That's, uh, that's going to be a really great one. Um, and then right after that is going to be our very special Tabletop Journey Side Quest Awards episode. Uh, voting on that is going on right now. Now, although by the time you hear this episode it might be done but uh yeah it's uh that's gonna be a fun show questies oh oh that was bad <laughs> that was awful that was like, that was yeah. like weird tone vibrating painful man <laughs> all right well thank you very much for listening everybody and we'll talk to you again next week thank you for joining us this has been tabletop journeys we would love to hear your feedback on our show today You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.